This episode of the Detox Podcast is brought to you by Rebel Riot Printing. Celebrating their 10th year in business, Rebel Riot is locally owned and family operated, offering custom printed tees with no minimums and fast turnaround. And by Bitsbox. Bitsbox teaches kids to code. Real JavaScript, real devices, and really fun. Hands down the most fun way for curious kids ages 6 to 14 to learn coding. Use promo code DETOX for $20 off any subscription order of $50 or more. That's D-T-A-L-K-S DETOX for $20 off any order of $50 or more with BitsBox. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Detox Podcast, a parenting podcast where you can detox from the world around you and get a window into how other people live their lives. Come detox with Detox. I'm your host, Joe Shaw, and on today's episode, I had the pleasure of speaking to noted author Nir Al, who is the best-selling author of the book Hooked, but he was on the show today to talk about his latest book, Indistractable, How to Control Your Attention and Choose Your Life. Nir and I got into a lot of really great topics. I'm very excited for you to listen. Up first, I do have Brian Salmon returning with another Ask the Birth Guy, and then we'll transition into my conversation with Nir. So stick around. It'll be right up after this. for Ask the Birth Guy. Yes, Ask the Birth Guy, right here on the Detox Podcast. We ask you guys to send me questions that I can answer to help you with your family. Well, we got a one from someone saying that they have two kids at home already. One of them's kind of young. Guess what? They're expecting to. That's right. Double trouble, friends. Twins. So when this happens, I tell people, don't freak out. You have to think about this as you have two kids that both have two different needs or sometimes the same needs. You're just raising two of them at the same time. Best thing to do, my friends, is to get your village going. When you have twins, twin families always have good tips for the, the new twin families or the newbies, right? And so for all you newbies, find a Facebook group in your area that has twin parents. And then you can ask some questions about nursing, about bedtime, about you know getting your, your sleep routine down, all these different things, especially if you can find some friends for this guy, especially who have babies at home already, because you know it could get a little tough sometimes. We all know being parents isn't the easiest thing. Finding your village makes the biggest difference, you guys. So go out there, look at that, but don't freak out. Get your relationship on track. Make sure you and your partner are ready to really handle this and support each other amazingly. Love each other, and also talk to your friends and family. Don't be afraid to ask for a little bit of help. I hope that helps you guys. I'm Brian the Birth Guy. Back to Joe Shaw on the Detox Podcast. Welcome back to the Detox Podcast. With me at this time is noted author Nir Al. Uh, he is the author of Indistractable, How to Control Your Attention and Choose Your Life. Nir, thanks so much for being on the show today. How are you? 
I'm doing great, Joe. Thanks for so much for having me. Yeah. So I'm really excited for your book because I think it's both extremely timely and very relevant to a lot of us here in 2019. Um, but before we even dig into that, one question I like to ask parents that come on the show is, what do you think makes a good parent? I think what makes a good parent is someone who prepares their child to be a future adult. Ooh, okay. <laughs> That's good. I think a lot of times um, it, it can be so difficult to focus on the long-term goals uh, when we're in the short term. I know I've got little ones and sometimes it, it causes me to need to step back and, and think about like, what am I teaching them with my language, whether it's verbal or my body language or boundaries? And I think it's so helpful to think about, you know, what you're saying now is going to be the foundation for the values and outlook that they have on life, you know, 16, 17, 18 years down the line and so on. And so I think to your point, preparing them for to be a good adult is crucial. And I think it's very easy to lose sight of that goal, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I think what, where it helps, where that philosophy helps me uh, as a dad is that it, it keeps me honest when I need to put in the little extra effort because so much of parenting, I, again, this is totally autobiographical. This is just my experience. I don't want to project it on anybody no, no, else. Good, but in my experience, one of the most you know, difficult things is, is remembering to do what's best as opposed to doing what's convenient. Mm. Uh, and it's so much easier just to tell your kid, don't do this or do that or do this. And, and that's right. certainly, you know, uh, the, the, the e it's so much easier to just bark out a command, but uh, that doesn't prepare them to be a future adult. Right. Right. I, I want my daughter to make her own decisions yep. uh, and, and to uh, live with the repercussions of those decisions, good or bad. Right. Right. <laughs> but I think we, we tend to steal away the opportunity for our kids to learn sometimes through failure. I think failure is great if it's uh, if, if it's not about you know you being a bad person. You didn't fail because you're a bad person. You failed because you did something that didn't work out. Right. How can you improve next time? Right. Absolutely. And it's it's it is something where you have to think about. And I think it's it's a tall ask for parents because there's no there's no guidebook. There's no manual. And and you have to to think about the fact that you are trying to do what's best in the moment, do what's best long-term, um, watch what you're saying, watch what you're doing. And it's, it, it's difficult. And I think even more so it's difficult in uh, such a distractible world and trying to make that indistractable. So, so on that note, I want you to walk me through the genesis of indistractable and why specifically this book and why is now the right time to release it. Yeah. So let me start with the last question first. So uh, why is now the right time? I mean, I, I think that's almost self-explanatory, at least right. to, you know, for, from what I see. It seems like we are all so distractible these days, right. uh, whether it's through our devices, whether it's uh, in the workplace, whether it's with our kids, whether it's our kids themselves. Focusing on one thing at a time uh, and not getting distracted by our digital devices or other things is really a challenge. Uh, it definitely was for me. And then to to answer the the former question, the the genesis of this project for me was was really my role as a dad. That uh, uh, I remember I was sitting with my daughter one afternoon and we we had some time together, and we had this book of activities that daddies and daughters could do together. And uh, all sorts of activities in this book. And one of the activities was to ask each other this question. 
and I remember it word for word. Uh, the question was, if you could have any superpower, what superpower would you want? And I wish I could tell you what my daughter said, but I can't because in that moment, uh, I had gotten some stupid ping or ding on my phone and I started checking my phone as opposed to being fully present with her. And she quickly got the hint that uh, I was valuing my phone more than I valued her in that moment. And she left the room. And I didn't even notice that she left the room, but she went outside and she started playing with some toy or something outside the room. And uh, when I finally came to my senses and pulled my head up for my phone, I realized that she was gone and I'd, I'd blown it. I'd blown this perfect daddy-daughter moment uh, because I got distracted. And so that's when I decided I really needed to figure this out. And um, yeah, that's where I started this five-year journey to figure out distraction. And and it was pretty surprising. I think what's what's different about my conclusion. So so let me back up. The reason I write a book, and this is my second one, is always because I'm looking for an answer that I have not found a satisfactory response to in uh, somebody else's book. I like that. So that's always my first step with every you know problem I have with life. In life, I think about. As much as I can, I think about the the answers for myself, and then if I can't find answers, I, I look to the experts. And in this case, I read literally every book I could possibly find on the topic of distraction and technology and focus and uh, tech addiction and all of these 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 books, and they didn't they didn't work. Right. <laughs> they, they all they all basically said the same thing that the technology is the problem, technology is melting your brain, technology is horrible, this and that. Right. And that's great if you're some college professor without a social media account, but that doesn't work for me. Right. I, I need these tools for my livelihood. I need email. I need social media. That's that's my job. Right. Uh, and 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 they're great. Yeah. It's just that I wanted to figure out how to get the best out of them without letting them get the best of us. Right. And not only that, I needed answers to how to raise my child in a world full of these distractions. And and unfortunately, much of the advice there was also gloom and doom. Yeah. Uh, but that can't be true either because there's so much my daughter gets from these technologies. Yes. I mean, she's uh, uh, we we happen to homeschool, and uh, there's so much uh, benefit from from having access to these technologies. Right. Uh, that it certainly wasn't about just cutting them off. I mean, she needs to know how to use these tools also because. Look, you know, it, when she leaves, this goes back to uh, what we talked about earlier about uh, the, my goal of, of being a good parent is to raise a future adult. Uh, right. And, um, you know, I, I want to make sure that when she steps out of the home and she goes to university or whatever she does after uh, after she leaves the home, that she knows how to manage distraction as well because these tools aren't going away, right? right. We're not going to wind back the hands of time. They're going to be out there. Yeah. And so she needs, needs to know how to be indistractable herself. And so that was kind of the, the genesis of this project. I like what you said about uh, the the answers being all doom and gloom, technology is a doom and gloom, and that's fine, but it, that can't be it. And and what speaks to me so much and, and is the fact that, you know, I know a lot of times in, in that we're finding in medicine or in uh, psychology or whatever the case is, you know, we're always, for years and years and years, I think we, we as a society had always been treating what we could see, what we could scale what we could understand and and see right in front of us black and white that's what it is instead of trying to dig deeper and figure out what a root cause problem could be manifesting itself in a different way and i think we're starting to see that across the board in whether it's the medical profession or what you know a lot more people willing to go to therapy and really work out these root cause issues. But what I love about your book and about what you even just said is that there are a myriad of reasons someone might be distracted and might be 
unable to feel present and in the moment. And it's not necessarily because technology is bad. It's because there are other factors going into play that I think once you understand them and to your point, learn how to use them, uh, you know, how to better adjust or coordinate yourself and your schedule and your day, then you're better prepped to use the technology to its benefit, be present in the moment and not feel that you're kind of wasting away in an endless news feed or email feed. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I couldn't have said it better myself. I really appreciate that you absorbed the book so much. Yes. You, you really got the, the essence of the message, which is you know, to not look for simple solutions, uh, particularly when it comes to our kids. You know, It's one thing if we make a bad decision for our own life, uh, when our when it, it comes to our kids, I mean, I, I know that as a parent, you you want to do everything you possibly can to set your kid up for success, for to give them the kind of life that they aspire to, that you aspire for them. And this is where I, I get really heated about the current misinformation when it comes to technology and kids, because it is literally hurting us what we're being fed by the media. Right. Uh, the media is telling us that these tools are hijacking our kids' brains, that they're addictive. And what's happening is that people, of course, are believing these messages. Uh, many of the, the people who are in this uh, fear industrial complex and selling books to us based right. on, on this, this, this mantra fear as opposed to actually looking at the detailed research right. as I've done for the past five years. What's that? Right. No, I was definitely agreeing with oh. you because it, it, oh. it's definitely just a game, right? Like they're, they're trying to make money off of your fear so they can generate more revenue as opposed to looking at the research, finding a through point and providing real resolutions and real answers that are beneficial to everybody. That's right. That's right. And uh, I, I really wanted to go deeper. And I, I, I dove into all of this research. I mean, I, I looked at the statistics of, of teenage suicide rates and depression, anxiety. I mean, there's lots of interesting trends going on right now. Right. But the, the, what the media tends to do, and of course, let's back up here, you know, the, the, the traditional media is in the same exact business as Facebook. Right. right. <laughs> they are all attention merchants. And they know that uh, if they can get you riled up over a scary headline like technology is hijacking your brain or is technology the uh, ruining a generation, you'll click on it and you'll read it and they can sell more ads on it. Oh, yeah. Uh, whether that is true or not. And if you really dig into the research, uh, and the statistics, the picture is completely different. The problem is if we obfuscate the real issue with these simple answers, we don't get to the core of what's going on, and, and that is to our own detriment. And the, the, the frustrating part about this is that this is the same story repeating itself with every generation. Yep. When I was a kid – it was Super Mario Brothers that right. was melting our brains, right. and you know, heavy metal music. I mean, God, the try. I mean, people went to court suing heavy metal bands because they were what they were doing to kids' brains. And before that, it was rock and roll, and before that, it was the radio and yeah. television. I mean, all the way back to uh, Aristotle talking about the written word was going to corrupt men's minds. So, you know, there's always been this backlash, particularly when it comes to child rearing. We have these moral panics again and again and again, and we don't learn the lesson that it's never about these proximal causes. It always hides the root cause. I, just the other day, I was looking through transcripts from the Senate hearings from the 1950s about comic books, hmm. and it is literally verbatim, I kid you not, word for word. 
increased suicide, depression, anxiety, all of these things that are happening to kids' brains because of comic books in wow. front of the United States Senate, verbatim. Wow. Well, what is being said today about our tech tools? That is and by fascinating. The way, just, to be, just to be very clear, I'm not a tech apologist. Tech clearly plays a role. I mean, that after all is what is in these kids' hands and what is on these screens. Right. It's just not the root cause, and that's really what we have to dive into. Right. I think it was really fascinating. Uh, in in addition to the book, I read uh, an article that you had written about how video games. You know, people are worried that kids are addicted to video games, but you pointed out the fact that when take Fortnite as an example, when kids are playing these games, they are getting achievements, they're getting a sense of self worth, they're feeling an accomplishment. And you pointed out the fact that when kids go to school, it is the antithesis of this ability to 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 sort of. Uh, succeed on your own through your own trial and error. And it, I, I think there are ways in which you can do that at school, but overall the general gist has been to, no, let's hunker down, study for the test, pass the test, move on to the next year, as opposed to really encouraging that kind of individual level of, of, of success that the kids are then coming home and playing. And I really like the fact that you talked about how Addiction versus overindulgence. That was fascinating mm -hmm. to me. And how, mm -hmm. you know, people like to throw the word addiction. I'm addicted to chocolate. I'm addicted to shopping, whatever. And you pointed out if it's not interrupting your life, if it's not, uh, I forget the, I'm paraphrasing, but it's essentially if it's not, um, if it's not uh, a debt, right. If it's not a detriment, if it's not harmful to you and you are then at the, able to step away and and like your point with the kids or if they're able to come to the dinner or the dinner table and then eat and put the game down they're not addicted you know right, if they're still right. doing it and putting off everything and shutting themselves off and cutting out life and you know uh, you know all sources that that's different but we're not talking yeah. about that we're talking about kids coming home playing and then moving on to the next task Right. And, and and this is why parents keep using this term of uh, my kids addicted to technology because, you right. know, addiction, uh, let, let's just be very clear. The definition of an addiction is a persistent compulsive dependency on a behavior or substance that harms the user. And some people do get addicted to all sorts of things. Anything that solves pain, any analgesic is potentially addictive. Uh, you know, it, it, from from people sniffing glue to uh, booze to uh, you know, pills to anything that solves pain right. is potentially addictive. Uh, people get addicted to watching sports. They get addicted to gambling. They, all, anything is potentially addictive, but it's never just about the product. It's the interaction of the person who has a predilection for addiction the product, of course, and the pain they are in they are looking to escape from. Nobody ever steps on a heroin needle and becomes a heroin addict. It doesn't right. work that way. Right. There's always a confluence of factors, and the same goes for addiction. So with the vast majority of kids, with some exceptions, there are kids who do get pathologically addicted. I will tell you that in the five years of research that I've done, I did not meet even one healthcare practitioner who treats uh, so-called internet addiction who <laughs> did not tell me literally 100% of the time that 100% of their patients had comorbidity with something else going on. Uh. Whether it was OCD, whether it was uh, some kind of trauma in their life, something was they were using these tools of distraction for escape as a yeah. diversion. 
uh, of their attention. That's that's the core story behind addiction. There is almost always something else going on. One of the uh, one of the most effective treatment techniques these days is, is trauma informed treatment. That we we see that you know people are using these uh, these addictions as an escape from an uncomfortable reality. That's the source of of, of all addictions. But for the vast majority of kids, it's not an addiction, not even close to an addiction. But we parents love to throw this term around. Why? Because an addiction denotes that there's a dealer, there's a pusher, Mm. right? And so that helps us slough off responsibility for ourselves and for our kids. It's being done to them. There's nothing we can do about it. It's an addiction. It's hopeless. Whereas when we call it what it is, overuse, well, wait a minute. Now it's not being done to us anymore. Uh-oh. We may have to take actually responsibility for that. Right. So it's it's very important that we use the right terminology. Just saying that everything is addictive and everyone is addicted is not helpful. It it it, den- den- it uh, demotes the importance of what a real pathology, what a real addiction is. Uh, and it teaches learned helplessness. It literally teaches people to not do anything about the problem. That's a good point. Because, oh, it's we're addicted. What can we do? Right. <laughs> it, it does. It creates this, this culture and this mindset of we literally have no autonomy and everything is being done to us. And so, oh, well, pick your poison kind of a thing, as opposed to saying, no, I'm overindulging in this and I need to recognize that and see where I can cut back and how I can make better choices. But we don't yeah. want to do that. We don't want to have the responsibility. And it's easier to just, if you're being told, you're addicted to this, this is, these are addictive, uh, you know, uh, whatever, then you're micro, you know, you're giving yourself these micro um, uh, sessions to where you no longer feel that you have control to make a decision about your right. body. And, and you put some things on this moral hierarchy that, oh, those kids playing those games, that's addictive, that's mind control. Now get out of the, my way as I watched three hours of Monday Night Football. Right, <laughs> yes. What the heck, what's right. the difference? There right. is no difference. Right. If, if you want to do it with intent, if you want to watch football, watch football, that's terrific. That's not mind control, that's not addictive. Right. Unless you have a predilection for addiction, right? Some people do actually get addicted to overwatching sports. Some people get addicted to watching too much news, right? Lots of people right. uh, you know, who have that tendency. But but it's the same thing. There's nothing wrong, actually, with a kid playing uh, two hours of, of a video game. There have been zero studies that have shown any deleterious effects to age-appropriate gameplay of two hours or less per day. No, wow. no study has shown deleterious effects. Where you start seeing negative effects, and this is correlation, it's a very weak correlation, but does exist, where you de- do see uh, some, some correlation with, with negative well-being and, and other uh, bad, cor- bad effects, is with really excessive use, four, five, six hours a day of uh, extracurricular screen time. But then, of course, you have to ask yourself, well, what else is going on in a kid's life if they're spending five, six hours a day in front of the screen? Right. Isn't five or six hours a day in front of any medium? You know, five or six hours of Harry Potter is also not such a good idea. Right. <laughs> it's not It's not just uh, that these things are, are it's, they're not melting your brain. They're not bad for you. It's, we have to ask these more nuanced questions. And unfortunately, I think in society today, we want everything to be black and white, good guys versus bad guys. Right. And that's not the real world. The answer to life's difficult questions is always, well, it depends. It's much more nuanced. It depends on who is using, how much they're using, 
what they're doing and what they are doing instead of. Right. You know, one thing that we forget is that, you know, technology today gets blamed for this correlation of, oh, you know, you look at 2007, 2008 till today, we see an increase in teen suicide. What we don't talk about is the fact that during the same period of time, everything else that kills kids is way down. This is the safest time in history, despite the small increase in teen suicide, the safest time in history to be a kid. Mm. Truancy is down. Teen pregnancy is down. Drug use is down. Uh, teen murder rates are down. Teen accidents are down. All of these bad things that kids used to do when they got into trouble – uh, and hurt themselves are way, way down. There are prisons. I mean, this was the generation of the super predator. There are prisons in America empty because the generation of the super predator never came to fruition, mm. right? Mm -hmm. And so if we're going to draw these you know, questionable correlations between the downside of technology, maybe we should also look at the upside. I mean, think about it. If you were going to invent a machine to keep kids off the streets, off the roads in terms of, of traffic accidents, and safely at home, you would invent these devices. Right. Right. Yes. And so, there, yeah. so if the alternative for a kid is doing the things, frankly, we used to do, right? I mean, I remember right. in our when I was a kid, we would go out like when we were bored and we wanted to to blow off some steam, we would we would break things. We would do terrible things that yeah. teenagers have done for generations. I mean, I, a, a quick a quick anecdote. I um. My daughter, she's 11 years old, and, and she has this list of 100 greatest American movies. And one of those movies is uh, American Graffiti. Have you, have you seen this movie? It's from yes, the 1970s, yes, I think. Yes, yeah, it's been a minute. And it's got, yeah. yeah, it's like Richard Dreyfus. It's a classic. It's yes. what they based Happy Days on. Right. And it was a movie depicting what teenagers' life was like in the 1950s. You know, the good old days when kids were good and did everything right. <laughs> the movie is horrible. Halfway through the movie, I mean, it's entertaining, but I don't think it's a great movie for kids. Halfway through the movie, I don't know if I wanted my daughter to watch anymore. I mean, what they do in this movie is drunk driving, uh, you know, uh, sex in the back of cars, drag racing, all of these very dangerous behaviors that kids have done right. for decades. But somehow we've forgotten because kids are on Fortnite today. Right. Oh, man. You know, talking about uh, technology where people think technology is the problem. You have a really interesting study that you reference in your book where you talk about the 2006 meta-analysis by the University College of London. Uh, I want you to talk me through this portion of the book where you specifically talk about distraction is a sign of dysfunction. And I think this mm -hmm. ties into what we were talking about, about the root cause of issues is not what people claim it is on the surface. Yeah, yeah, okay, so... Okay, so first of all, we need to realize uh, what we said earlier that 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 um, for for moderate use of age appropriate content and and quick disclaimer, we should not be letting our kids use any device or any service that the manufacturer says they are not ready for. Mm. So for God's sakes, if Facebook tells you this product is for people who are thirteen and up. Do not give it to your 10-year-old. There is no reason that a 10-year-old needs a social media account. The manufacturers themselves tell you you have to be 13. Yep. So all content needs to be appropriate. You know, if my child were to walk into a library, I'm not going to let her just pick any book off the shelf. We go, oh, reading's great. Reading's somehow morally superior. No, there's lots of content she's not ready for at 11 years old that she can read a book in the, in the library that she's not ready for. It has to be age-appropriate content. Right. 
as long as it is age-appropriate content, again, no study has found any deleterious effects for two hours or less of extracurricular screen time. Now, the question is, why do kids overuse? What's going on here in kids' lives when they're using so much more than that two hours in the cases where that is the case? And what we find is that the problem is much deeper, that it is a sign of dysfunction. And here's how, here's how to explain it. So, you know, we have these physiological nutrients. There are three macronutrients that all human beings need. Uh, and those three macronutrients for our bodies to, to have healthy bodies, uh, the three macronutrients are protein, carbohydrates, and fat. Okay, we, we learned this in seventh grade health class. Right. What we didn't learn about are the three psychological nutrients. And this comes from very old research. It's uh, it's decades old. This is 40, 50-year-old research. Uh, this is called self-determination theory. And self-determination theory is the most widely studied and widely uh, accepted theory of human motivation and flourishing and well-being. And the, the study authors, Desi and Ryan, tell us that the three psychological nutrients are a sense of competency, autonomy, and relatedness. Mm. Competency, autonomy, and relatedness. Now, when we don't get those psychological nutrients met in our diet, so to speak, in the real world, well, we look for them in the online world, right? So this is called the needs displacement hypothesis. So let's work through these three. Competency, this feeling that we have agency over our environment, that we can, that we can get better at something in life. You know, you know how good it feels when you do something you're good at, uh, whether it's, you know, nailing that presentation at work or uh, writing a, a great report, whatever it is that you do that you feel like, wow, I'm, I'm good at that. Right. That feels great. We seek that out as humans. Now, one thing that has correlated with the rise of teenage anxiety and depression and even suicide uh, around 2006, 2007, 2008 is the rise of standardized testing and teachers teaching towards the test. Mm. Now, what does that say to our kids when they are tested in many school districts three, four times a year, even starting from kindergarten, they are constantly tested on these standardized tests. And for many kids, they don't do well. And this reinforces to them again and again, you're not competent. Right. And so where do they seek that sense of competency? Well, they go home and they play a video game. Yep. And the video game companies are more than happy to deliver this feeling of competency, right? Look how good you are at this game, at Fortnite or Minecraft or whatever it is. You feel competent. You're good at it. And so you seek that out. Next is autonomy. Autonomy is this idea that we have agency over our, our lives, that we can control our decisions. And when you think about the lives of most kids these days, uh, there, there, there's been studies done around how many rules the average American child has imposed on them. The average American child has 10 times as many rules and restrictions placed on them as an adult and twice as many rules as, and restrictions as a, as a convicted incarcerated felon. Wow. There are two places in society where we tell people where to go, what to think, what to do, who to talk to, what to wear, what to eat, and that's school and prison. Wow. And so is it any surprise when our kids are so hyper-scheduled these days that they come home and they want to they wanna break free? They want to have autonomy over their lives. They want to feel in control of something. Yeah. Well, all they have to do is turn on that console and now they are the god of Minecraft, mm. right? They are in control of Fortnite. 
they feel agency over their environment, and that's incredibly satisfying. And now, again, the technology plays a role, but that's not the root cause. The root cause is they don't feel autonomy in the other aspects of their life, their online life. And finally, relatedness. Relatedness is this need that we all have to understand others and to be understood ourselves. And unfortunately, we've had a collapse in one of the most important activities that we can give our kids to help them uh, get the, a, high, a sense of emotional well-being. One of the best things you can do for your child uh, psychologically is to let them play with their peers. When I was a kid, the neighborhoods across this country sang with the so sound of kids playing. You don't hear it today. Hmm. Kids don't play anymore. They don't play for two reasons. One, we parents have been so terrified by the media that our kids are going to get abducted and stranger danger and that you know some kidnapping is going to occur, which is rubbish. This is the safest time in American history to be a kid that we don't let kids play. I don't know if you heard the story in D.C. A, a few months ago. Uh, two parents were arrested for letting their children walk to a local park about a mile from their house. They were negligent parents for letting their kids walk to the park wow. unsupervised. I mean, this is how paranoid we become, how irresponsible it is to let your kids uh, out on their own. It's ridiculous. I mean, yeah. this is what we did every day after school when we were growing up. Yeah. The second problem, it, the reason that there's been this collapse in play, is that kids are hyper-scheduled these days. Between Kumon and Mandarin and swimming and ballet, they are never out of the supervision of a coach or an adult telling them what to do all the time. So not only does that threaten their autonomy, there's no time for play. So why is play so psychologically important? Play is where we learn our place in the world. It's one thing if a parent tells you to do something. It's a whole nother story if your peer tells you to do something. And so play teaches you, you know what? You're not so special. If you want something, you have to treat me nice and I'll treat you nice. That's how play works. It's right. about these social interactions, this give and take that we are robbing kids of. And so what do they do when they don't get this need met, the psychological nutrient of relatedness? Well, social media, right? right. You got Facebook, you got uh, Instagram, you got Snapchat. This is where they get relatedness to their peers. Even Fortnite, I don't know if you ever played Fortnite. This is the latest thing that parents are freaking out about. <laughs> You know, most of what kids do on Fortnite is talk to each other, yeah. just like we used to do on the telephone when we, you know, on the landlines right. when we were growing up. Right. It's no different. Uh, and so that's the root cause is that our kids are not getting enough of the psychological nutrients of competency, autonomy, and relatedness in the real world. And so they are looking for this in the online world. Wow. Man, that's just what it's so powerful and so obvious, but also so needed to hear that. What, and I don't say obvious to Demita, I say obvious in that when you hear it, you go, well, of course that is, that logically makes sense. But I think it's so difficult for parents and other people to, to see that when you're so close, instead of stepping back and going, what else is going on here? What, what yeah. other needs aren't being met to your point? So what would, what do you then say to people after you've given them this knowledge and they go, well, are we all doomed? What's the next way forward? What, how do you kind of ease them and help them see the next steps that they need to take? 
Yeah. So, so this is actually, it doesn't, I don't know if it sounds like it, it might, it might sound depressing to me. This was incredibly hopeful, <laughs> right? Because, uh, when you relieve yourself of agency and say, well, the technology is just doing it to us and there's nothing I can do about it. And you realize the truth, you unplug from the matrix and you see what's really going on, that the technology of course plays a role. Of course the tech companies want your kids to be using their product. That's their business model. Right. Of course, is that a surprise to anybody? Right. But what, what this means is if there's a deeper root cause, it means we can do something about it, mm. that these tools are just the proximal cause. So there's a lot we can do about it. The first thing is to understand these internal triggers, is to understand what our kids are looking for, and then to provide them with the time to get their psychological nutrients met. So let, let's work through these one at a time. So competency, autonomy, and relatedness. Uh, so when it comes to autonomy, for instance, it is so important that we involve our kids in this discussion. You know, many parents, uh, when I was doing the research for this book and I talked to parents about, you know, how do they, uh, how, how, how do they currently manage the relationship with their, their kids' technology? It's a very forceful, heavy-handed relationship. Give me that phone and, and the phone's banned and, you know, I'm going to... Uh, I'm going to smash that Xbox and you literally, you know, go on YouTube, you will find, I'm not exaggerating, thousands of videos of parents capturing themselves, smashing their kid's technology. Wow. Uh, it's, it's, and, and somehow the kid is supposed to learn that this is how you deal with your problems in life. I, right. I don't get it. Right. And, and so that is clearly not the answer, right? Obviously. Right. And, and also part of the answer is, is not uh, you know, putting more authority. If we know the problem uh, that kids face in terms of their lack of psychological nutrients is that they are looking for autonomy by being so heavy-handed, we are exacerbating the problem. We are creating, uh, uh, you know, kids who will look to cheat. Right? We are creating a system that they are looking to to cheat from out of, uh, uh, under our nose so that as soon as we're not looking, they'll do what they want to do anyway because of this forbidden fruit. Right. Uh, and we are not helping them develop their own sense of agency and control to make decisions for themselves for when they leave the house. So the first step is to involve them. And it's really not as hard as we think. You know, When my daughter was five years old, uh, we sat down. And by the way, let me back up for a minute. So when the iPad first came out, uh, this was about the time when uh, my my uh, daughter was, I, I, I guess she was about two, three. So some of her first words were iPad time, iPad time, iPad time. <laughs> and uh, so we waited a few years until she you know, had the, the wherewithal to have a conversation. And at five years old, which is pretty young, but not that young, we could have this conversation. We asked her, we said, look, honey, um, you know, the iPad isn't bad. It's not evil. But it does come at a cost. That cost is time away from other things you enjoy. Time away from playing with mommy and daddy, time away from the park, uh, time away from you know, reading a book together. These are things that cost you every time you spend a minute on the iPad. And you know these apps are built from, by some very smart people who want you to spend as much time as possible on that YouTube video or that Netflix video or whatever app you're playing. Right. So you tell me how much time, given everything else you want to do in your day, how much time per day do you think is the right amount of time to spend? And by the way, this is a conversation you can have a five with a five year old or a 15 year old. doesn't matter. Yeah. And we put the ball in her court. How much time do you think is the right amount of time? And she kind of looked at me and she wasn't sure if she was, you know, it, how honest I was being with this negotiation or not. And right, she right. said, 
how about two episodes? Well, two episodes on Netflix is about 45 minutes. I thought she was going to say all day, right? Right. <laughs> she said 45 minutes. And she thought she was getting a good deal. And right. I said, sure, 45 minutes, that's fine. But here's the thing. You're going to be in charge of monitoring those 45 minutes. It's up to you. And we're going to check in every once in a while. And if we see that you're abusing those 45 minutes, uh, then we're going to have a conversation about this. So yeah. you tell me, how are you going to make sure that you only – uh, watch 45 minutes of of a Netflix video, and again, age appropriate content. Right. And she and she came up with, well, you know, why don't I use the microwave timer? Then we have this microwave timer, microwave that's low to the ground, so she could access it. It wasn't high above the stove; it's like a, a low one that's sure. uh, below a uh, uh, countertop. Gotcha. And she could set the timer for 45 minutes, and then it would beep, and she would know it was time to stop. Today, she's 11 years old. And she uses the Amazon Alexa. She says, Alexa, set the timer for 45 minutes. Or she uses uh, um, the iPad comes with this uh, tool built in, screen time. So now here's the genius of this. I'm not the bad guy anymore. Right, right. It's not daddy saying, get off the iPad. It's the iPad that she set the settings for telling her that her time is up. She has autonomy. She has agency. She has control over the situation. Then the next thing that we did is we made sure that we made time for traction. By the way, many of these techniques apply to us adults as much as right, it does. Right, for that's children. what I was thinking. Yeah, yeah, totally, totally. I mean, it's the same four techniques that we use on ourselves that we can use for our kids. We make time for traction, meaning that we are very diligent about how we schedule her day. That we make sure she has time for again the most important activity in her day for her psychological well-being is free play with her friends. Unfortunately, I wish it happened organically, but those days are long gone. Kids just can't yeah. you know go outside and knock on a few doors. It just doesn't doesn't happen anymore because everybody's so hyper scheduled. So we used you know we we faced reality and now we schedule time regularly for our daughter to play for hours sometimes with other kids and it's beautiful it's wonderful she gains so much from free play and and she's a better person for it i can tell her social skills improve not only with her friends with us when she the more time she has for free play she feels connected to her friends she builds these lifelong friendships and she learns how to negotiate and be nice to people (laughs) (laughs) because she has to or her friends won't play with her yeah uh so we we make time for traction then we make sure we hack back the external triggers that's the third step of becoming indistractable so one of the things that we have to make sure of as parents is that we let our kids use the technology that they are ready for. Uh, the, the, the metaphor I like to use here is a swimming pool. So swimming pools can be incredibly dangerous if a child doesn't know how to swim. But that doesn't mean you keep your kid out of the pool forever. You teach them how to swim so that right. they can do so safely. So the test of whether a child is ready for a particular technology is this test of do they know how to turn it off appropriately? Mm. So if a child is using their phone at dinner time, they are not ready for the phone. If they don't know how to use do not disturb while they're uh, doing homework, then they're not ready for it. If they don't know how to turn off these external triggers, these pings, dings, and rings, they're not ready for the technology. And they're showing you they're not ready because they're not using it appropriately. Right. Another thing I recommend, there is no reasons, reason for screens in the bedroom, whether that's a, 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 a iPad, a, a phone, or the good old television set. Anything that pings or dings at night that might interfere with children's sleep 
is just not necessary in the bedroom. They can do the homework on the laptop in the living room. There's no need for a screen, especially not television, in kids' rooms. We need to remove those external triggers. And finally, the last step is to prevent distraction with PACTs. And here we can use technology against itself. We can use these free tools. There are so many free tools that we can use to help us prevent getting distracted in the first place. So for example, in my home, we have this uh, router called uh, the Eero router that it comes with a, 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 a timer that will turn off an internet connection uh, every night to certain whatever devices you set at 10 p.m. Okay, so this is a pre-commitment device that we all agreed upon, mm -hmm. right, that we're all going to do. We're, we're, this is important to us. We had a discussion about this. This wasn't I'm going to impose it on you. So, okay, what, what's a good time to start settling down for bed? I mean, no, one thing that the research is unequivocal about is that sleep is important. It's important for adults. It's very important for children. So we don't want to interfere with sleep. So now it's not a decision anymore. We just all know, okay, 10 p.m., you better wrap everything up that you have to do because the Internet always shuts off at 10 p.m. in our household. <laughs> So that's an example of a pre-commitment device. And so th those are some simple steps that we can take uh, to make sure that, again, we can get the best out of technology without letting it get the best of us. That's good. Oh, and one, one more really, really, really important thing <laughs> is that we have to become indistractable ourselves. Mm. That I see so many parents complaining that their kids are addicted to Fortnite or Facebook or Snapchat or whatever, and they're yelling at their kids as they're checking email on their phone. Right. Come on, we, we can't be hypocrites here. We have right. to become indistractable ourselves. That's a good point. Well, Nir, I know we're uh, almost at time, but uh, what I want to do uh, before we transition to the next segment is what is one last piece of advice that you would give uh, our listeners? So I think, I think the most important piece of advice is to realize that we are not powerless, hmm. that uh, we are only powerless if we think we are. Uh, we are literally giving these companies more power and more control than they deserve when we you know, throw up our hands and say, oh, there's nothing we can do. It's addictive. It's this and that. No, no, no. We are only powerless if we think we are. In fact, we know there, there's studies on, on uh, alcoholics, and uh, they, they, they've done these studies where they know that the number one criteria, the number one determinant, sorry, of whether someone will – will stay sober after rehab. And this is with this is with alcohol, right? Alcohol crosses the blood brain barrier. This enters the body, you know, right. we're not freebasing Facebook and injecting Instagram. Right. You know, so we we know the number one criteria of whether someone will stay sober after rehab is not their level of physical dependency. Rather, it is their belief in their own power to change. Mm. That is more important than their physical dependency. Yeah. And so we cannot give up our agency and control by thinking that we are powerless. All of us can become indistractable. That's good. And now it's time for my favorite uh, part of the episode, the dad joke of the week. This is a segment where I hurl unsuspecting dad jokes at my guest in an attempt to get them to laugh while the audience groans, but I can't hear the audience. I can only hear my guests, so it works out. Uh, but before I get started, Nir, I always like to ask my guests if they have any dad jokes they would like to offer up. Oh, man. I do have a great dad joke, but it's kind of long and it's kind of visual, so <laughs> I'm not sure if it'll work for this one. Let me let me think about it while okay. you... Uh, okay. You deliver yours. All right. Sounds good. All right. So uh, I've got a couple here. Uh, first one, I wanted to let you know that uh, Anir, I uh, I dreamed about drowning in an ocean made out of orange soda last night. 
it took me a while to work it out uh, that it was just a fantasy. Mm, yes, yes, just I've had a, those many times. I, just I a understand. fantasy. Yep. <laughs> <laughs> uh, the last, the last one I've got here is uh, at work. Uh, we have a printer we've nicknamed Bob Marley. Uh, it's always jamming. Yep. The yep, printer is I always jamming. Yep. <laughs> All right. Do kids know who Bob Marley is? I don't know. I don't know, but I figured you would get it, so it worked. It worked that, that makes it even more of a dad joke. Right. That your kids would have no idea who that person is. Right. Exactly. 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 All right. Uh, did you want to do that dad joke, or are you good to go? Okay. Let me try. I, I have never. I don't know if this is a good joke to tell uh, with it, because you need to see it. Is the problem? Okay. Let me. Let me. I'll just describe it. And hopefully at the end you'll 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 get why it's funny. Okay, let okay. me try. This, this is I'm going on a limb here, but this this may be my favorite joke of all time. And okay. it really, it's actually it's a da- it's not really a dad joke because dad jokes are you know chortles. They're not real. But my daughter loved this joke when she was up until like you know seven eight. She thought it was the most hilarious joke ever. Okay. Okay. Uh, it's a little bit long though. Is that okay? Yeah, that's fine. Okay. So uh, so there's this wide mouth frog in the bayous of Louisiana. And the wide mouth frog is a very curious frog. The wide mouth frog wants to know what every other creature in the swamp likes to eat. So the wide mouth frog, he goes up to uh, Miss Butterfly and he says, hi, I'm the wide mouth frog. And this, at this part, when you tell the joke, you have to make your mouth really wide. Okay? Right. Because you're the wide mouth frog. Right. So the wide mouth frog says, hi, I'm the wide mouth frog. I like to eat flies. What do you like to eat? <laughs> and Miss Butterfly says, oh, I like to eat nectar and pollen. And, oh. and so the wide mouth frog says, wow, that's great. And again, your mouth has to be huge. At this right. point. And then the wide mouth frog goes to see Mr. Lizard. And he says, hi, I'm the wide mouth frog. I like to eat flies. What do you like to eat? And uh, Mr. Lizard says, oh, I like to eat insects, things like that. And the wide mouth frog says, wow, that's great. And then the wide mouth frog goes and sees the alligator. And he says, hi, I'm the wide mouth frog. I like to eat flies. What do you like to eat? And the alligator says, oh, me? I like to eat wide mouth frogs. And the wide mouth frog says, oh, is that so? (laughs) And of course, you have to puff your lips real tight and make a really small mouth. And then, you know. Right. So that's my that's my favorite joke of all time. <laughs> oh, I love it. I love it. That's awesome. Well, Nir, if uh, our listeners want to follow you and see what you're up to, what is the best way for them to do that? Yeah, so my blog is nearandfar.com. Nir is spelled like my first name, N-I-R, so nearandfar.com. And uh, as far as the book is concerned, Indistractable, How to Control Your Attention and Choose Your Life, uh, that's available wherever books are sold. And you can actually get a tons of free content that I couldn't fit into the book, like an 80-page workbook, <laughs> uh, videos, distraction tracker, schedule maker, all kinds of good stuff. Uh, uh, whether you buy the book or not, all that stuff is available for free at indistractable.com. That's I-N, the word distract, A-B-L-E, Indistractable. Perfect. We'll put all that in the show notes. Well, Nir, uh, we need a hashtag for this episode. Should we use hashtag indistractable? That'd be great. All right. Perfect. Well, listeners, we'll be back with another great episode next week. But for now, hashtag indistractable and hashtag be a better dad. If you know of an interesting person or story that needs to be told, please reach out to me at detoxpodcast at gmail.com. That's D-T-A-L-K-S podcast at gmail.com. You can also reach out via Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram at Detox Podcast, or visit DetoxPodcast.com. Also, be sure to leave us a five-star rating on iTunes if you like the show. It only takes a few seconds and it really helps us out. Link is in the show notes. Finally, thanks for listening. Please come back next week when we'll have another interesting conversation. And special thanks to my producers, Ben Lawant and Galan Aldaco. Without your help and support, this show wouldn't be possible. 
Thanks so much, guys. Detox is a production of Vocal. For more information and more programming, please visit vocalnow.com. That's V-O-K-A-L-N-O-W.com. Welcome to After the Encore, a music podcast committed to showing you the magic of your favorite artists, After the Encore. I'm your host, Joe Shaw. What drives people to become musicians? What are the stories behind the songs or albums you love? We'll be answering all that and more in this new podcast series. Every season, we'll drop all episodes at once to allow you the flexibility to listen at your own leisure. Binge it all or take your time. New seasons will drop approximately every six to eight months and will be centered on a different theme. Oh, and one more thing. Since we're really doubling down on the music concept, each season will be called Volumes, and each episode will be called Tracks. Volume 1, The Stars at Night, will drop on Friday, August 30th. Texas, the second largest state in America, has always had a tradition of housing various eclectic people, traditions, and most importantly, music. Whether it's blues, country, folk, pop, or rock, all different artists call Texas home. In celebration of the various sounds of Texas, we've compiled an eclectic group of artists to help us answer two questions essential to the core of After the Encore. What does music mean to you? And how do you quantify success? Stay tuned and be sure to like, subscribe, rate, review, and share however you want. For now, enjoy the following highlights from the upcoming Volume 1. As, as an artist, were exactly the reasons why I needed to come to it because it really served as, 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 a, as a, a vessel for me to figure who I was. I mean, right. it, it, sort of, it sort of resolved a lifelong identity crisis right, for right, me. Right, right, right. Exactly. Uh, and, 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 and in that, it set me free you yeah. know, to sort of to be me and to be the kind of um, black male that I choose to be versus what you know someone else or right. should should should, should uh, say I should be and so yeah. that was a joyful thing and, and so right. the, the sort of you know the the the, the sort of emancipation <laughs> of myself <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. you know became a really right. joyful thing but right. the, the other trip is that um you know I, I just find like it to be and I always have thought this it, it's such blues is such great music of resilience yes and, and it's such a great um such great evidence of of, of the 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 strength of the human spirit right. and, and so for me that's like what's more joyful than that yeah. it's like we have the ability to reinvent ourselves we have the ability to transcend we have the ability right. to um, always you know uh, through you know, free will choice you know? right absolutely and, and so blues and buys all that and I just sort of figure out, well man this is yeah how, how much joyful can it get he's able to show them look they've sold this many and yeah you know they're playing in front of this many people if they go and play somewhere a couple of times they pack it out like yeah. you know this and they were like hey it's just not the right time because this was grunge, grunge yeah grunge, yeah, grunge. yeah yeah um this is like nirvana era too like oh sure yeah, like, like when it when we're yeah, yeah. um like nirvana grunge <laughs> yeah <laughs> um and so we were trying to get into regular rotation on the edge because they yeah. were playing some bands. Right. You know, like they had played Pop Poppins. Um, mm -hmm. Tripping Daisy had already broken through at that point. Sure, okay. Um, and, and they had started playing the Nixons at this time. Okay. And even that didn't seem like it was going to happen. Yeah. We're like, dude, this, this might not happen for us. Yeah. And it, it was one of those weird things. We were playing at Trees and Trees had run an ad on the edge and in the ad 
they played a snippet of Breakfast at Tiffany's. And so people start calling the edge and requesting it. 